welcome to another edition of the First and Orange Broncos podcast. I'm Kyle Fredrickson, joined by Ryan O'Halloran. We cover the Denver Broncos for the Denver Post, and we are gathered at Dove Valley today on a big day in Broncos country, Ryan, being that Chris Harris uh, is back in the building, his standoff with the Broncos over. Uh, they rework his deal going from $8.7 million to just over $12 million, a little over a $3 million raise, pretty, pretty good money if you can get it. Uh, just knee-jerk reaction, Ryan. We have a lot to talk about here, but who maybe won this standoff? There's a lot of ways to sort of frame this situation and, and, and what each side got out of it, but for you, who looks better on the other end? Well, let's, let's rank the winners. First winner is Vic Fangio. Second winner is Chris Harris. Third winner is John Elway. Okay, let's start at top. Mark Kizzle wrote about this very well last week. The job of the GM is to eliminate distractions for the head coach, particularly one who's in his first year trying to learn the roster. Less headaches, the better. The Harris thing was a headache for Vic. Not that he was being pummeled with questions about it, but it's one of his best players, one of the few blue-chip players on this 90-man or 89-man roster right now. So now Vic can answer these questions after Wednesday's OTA, which is today, and he can move on to working with the player instead of having to talk about a player who's not here. Second winner is Chris Harris. I think in his heart of hearts, he knew he wasn't going to get a $15 million a year long-term extension. But he got the bump that he was wanting. And I go back to what I asked John Elway after the free agent press conference. I said, do you think Chris Harris will have a problem not being the highest paid corner on the team? And John was like, well, he's under contract. Well, you know, I think that was at the root of it. Mm-hmm. Not that personal against Kareem Jackson, but Chris wanted to be the alpha male in that corner room. Second winner, still Chris Harris. <laughs> One more thought on Chris. He gets a little bit. He gets he gets a he gets a bump that he thought he deserved, and he becomes a free agent next year if he so chooses. A lot of people are going to say, "Well, what does this mean for Chris's future?" Don't know. Uh, I think Chris probably is more in favor of staying here than the Broncos may be of keeping him here at a big price. But we're a long way away from that. Third one, John Elway. Um, I'm not sure why he felt the need to do this other than we go back to point one. He wanted to give his head coach a little bit of a, you know, an attaboy going into the summer break. Mike Tannenbaum, the former Jets and Dolphins GM, tweeted this morning that it sets a bad precedent. I agree and I disagree. I agree in the fact that maybe players can feel like they can push the Broncos around. I disagree from the fact that this is a unique circumstance. This is one of your best players. This is not a guy who has been fighting injuries, has been unproductive, yet he wants more money. So I don't, I don't think it'll start a snowball effect with the Broncos, but uh, something to watch if some of their drafted players do develop. So Chris Harris back in OTAs will be here for veteran minicamp, and it'll be the first time that we really see how he fits in this retooled defense, right? Uh, Mark Kizzle wrote about it earlier, I think, last week. The no-fly zone is dead. Is Chris Harris willing to play zone in this defense? How is that going to operate? How is that going to look? Ryan, I know that's something we'll discuss over the coming months and once the season gets here, but just from your observations so far, do you figure Kareem Jackson stays at safety and this allows Harris to be the number one corner or the Broncos maybe need more help at corner and, and that might allow guys to shift back and forth. Well I think Chris can be the number one corner anyway. Um, the key thing for him is how is he going to be used. You have Kareem Jackson who can play inside on third down. You have Bryce Callahan who exclusively played there last year inside on third down for Chicago and Vic Fangio. 
I think if you're Chris, you take a look at this scheme, you take a look at the history of this scheme under Vic and say, hey, players make plays. Doesn't matter if it's man or zone. And if, it, if you're Chris Harris, you want takeaways because that's even going to increase your market value. So I think he'll come into this open-minded. Or if I'm him, I would be encouraged, and I was encouraged for him during free agency, is by signing Jackson and Callahan, it means they're not completely wedded to moving Chris inside, even if it's a lesser receiver. Last year they had to move him inside. They had nobody else to play there. Now, week one against Antonio Brown, if Vic likes the matchup of Chris following him all over the field, he has that option because he can play Bracer Kareem inside. So I think that's the fit is going to be evolving. And I think the interesting thing about this defense is the fit is going to be a week-to-week deal. Um, it's all about what the other team does. That will determine where Chris Harris plays. That will determine where the Kareem Jackson plays safety or corner. But you know, all we have right now is tea leaves, but it sure as heck looks like Kareem Jackson is going to be the safety. When we kind of take a big picture look at this, Ryan, the AFC West has plenty of quarterbacks who can tear up secondaries. This was an issue that the Broncos had all of last season. Did they do enough with the moves they made? I mean, now that we sort of see what this secondary is going to look like, that Harris is a part of it, you'll see what Vic Fangio has done in the past and his success with even some of these guys who are now on the roster. Uh, did they do enough to, to, to make Broncos country feel confident going into the year that this is an upgraded unit that isn't going to have the same problems I had a year ago. Well, they still get very little depth. That's the issue. Um, if you take their top four of Harris, Callahan, Jackson, Simmons, not bad. Um, you throw in a Devontae Busby and Isaac Yadam as their nickel. A little bit of a drop off there. That's where I think you move Kareem down the corner in certain sub packages. And that opens up the safety spot. Who's that third safety who's going to be on the field and some nickel stuff? So, um, and they have guys with decent resumes with Jackson and, and Harris. They have a Justin Simmons who needs to, in a contract year, needs to play better, needs to be more consistent. He's admitted that. After that, Yadam, you don't really know much about him. Busby was playing in the AAF a couple weeks ago, so he's an unknown, although he has familiarity with Fangio and Donatel. So it's still, I think you can say this about a lot of position groups on the Broncos, it's very, it's very much a top-end roster. Um, there's lot of accomplishments at the top but if those guys go down there's a lot of trouble from the midpoint to the back of the roster as we sort of wrap up the dialogue about this whole chris harris situation i'm wondering what you sort of made about the negotiation tactics of each side sort of elway's hard line making this you know from from his point of view saying hey we're not going to even discuss this till after the draft and then going to chris harris's camp coming out with like you mentioned a big number that none of us really expected the broncos to give him at 15 million is this sort of how these things typically play out was this a unique situation in terms of trade that are not trades, but in terms of renegotiations that you've seen in the past? Two things are unique in this, in this is one is the pay me or trade me ultimatum. You know, as an emotional decision, you know, maybe Harris just can't regret that because it, it did not spark anything. Second part was unique is, you know, adding money to a deal without adding any term. You yeah. know, basically this, they said, okay, you deserve a raise for this year and this year only. A vote of <coughs> semi-confidence that Chris Harris can still ma- remain a top player. On John Elway's front, he was adamant from the combine moving forward after the draft. I don't get any indication from Harris's camp that they were told otherwise. Um, 
up until after the draft, John always looked at Chris Harris as a player under contract. He can wait. And that's what John basically said in Arizona at the league meeting. We got stuff to do first. Once they got around to it, I mean, at the beginning of the process, if I had, after the draft, if I had to predict what would have happened between the two sides, I would have said, no deal. Chris reports for training camp July 17th because he doesn't want to give up any fines for money. He's not going to give up any game checks. And then he departs after the season. I always zigged a little bit there. Uh, by giving him that raise, but also he did not fully commit to him moving forward. So they had some cap space to play with. They decided to use some of that on Chris. We should get a chance to talk with Chris today, get more of his thoughts about this new one-year deal. Uh, his thoughts on staying with the Broncos long-term, each side's in, in their news releases have said, hey, we'd like to make this thing work. So it should be interesting to see his further comments on that, his future in Denver. Uh, but anything else to add on this situation, Ryan? I mean, we're, we're nearing the end of OTAs. There's a few different things that will key in on this week, but just what, what do you make of where this team stands? Well, and Harris, I still think this is his last year at the Broncos. Um, if because his price, let's say he plays, let's say he has a great 2019. His price is only going to go up. The Broncos realized that, yet they had no interest in extending him long term into his mid 30s. On the OTA front, you still have a lot of guys who haven't participated yet, and that's Emmanuel Sanders. I don't care if he's running straight lines. Yeah, you got to run in directions. You <laughs> yeah, got to right. be out there and catch passes. I think he's a PUP candidate to start a camp because there, there doesn't need to be a lot of urgency. They have a long camp to get him ready. Offensive line, as I wrote in a mailbag that's online now, is they're trying a little square peg and round hole approach. They're pulling Ron Lurie back at right guard when he gets cleared. Dalton Reiser's at left guard, never played there, never played on the left side at K-State. So uh, that's going to be a work in progress. It also is – Who's going to emerge? Is Demarcus Walker going to earn himself a roster spot? Former second-round pick. Is Sua Cravens going to be able to save his career by being a third safety? Can Will Parks take that job and keep it like he did last year? Then at receiver, is what's the pecking order? I mean, you sort of figure it's Sanders, Sutton, Hamilton. But what does, what does the prospect of using two tight ends mean for some of those touches for the receivers? So whenever you have a new staff, the first preseason games are always – Interesting because they're not going to show a lot, but they got to practice some stuff they're going to use in week one. So as we as we get into the padded practices in late July, that's when we'll start getting some clarity. Philip Lindsay returning to the practice field, obviously still limited from that wrist surgery. But let's touch on running back just before we get out of here, Ryan. Royce Freeman, you figured, needs to have a more increased role, if only to give this offense a little bit of balance, right? Uh, I don't know how much we glean from OTAs in terms of his improvement, but the sense that you get, the Broncos still view him as sort of a, a real primary force in this offense? I think they do, and they should. Um, I think he was a victim of circumstance last year, first with Phillips' emergence, decided to go with the hot hand there, which is what uh, they should have done. And then in the Arizona game, which was week seven, um, you know, Royce has a high ankle sprain. It wasn't really right the rest of the way. Showed some bursts late in the season, caught some passes. You know, a, a Philip Lindsay subplot's going to be, can he match last year's numbers? My case is that if he matches those numbers, this team is not going to be very good because – they need Royce Freeman to have a lot of carries to be able to hold a lead like he did in the Seattle game early in week one. And it doesn't, it doesn't mean that's a knock on Philip Lindsay, but maybe you get him split out more. Maybe you put both guys on the field a little bit more. 
I think I think a healthy and effective Freeman gives them some options on how to use Philip as well. Well, a lot more analysis to come from three more days of OTAs out here at Dove Valley before things get wrapped up. Mini camp after that, and then not so far in the future training camp. Uh, plenty of coverage at DenverPost.com, and in that print product, uh, be sure to pick us up every day and subscribe. And we will see you guys next time.